This is The Next Level, a Packet Pushers community channel show where real network professionals charge into difficult IT management situations, lead from the front, and get it right. Join us as we ask the hard questions that most people are too afraid to ask and figure out how to drive the positive change you want to see. We'll take you from the CLI to CIO. Hi, I'm Damon Hoising from Packet Brigade. You can find me on Twitter at Packet Brigade. I believe that most of us are interested in furthering our careers and doing work that matters. In order to maximize the value we add to our business and our colleagues, it's critical to be cognizant of business requirements and to focus our technology capabilities on meeting them. I realize it's difficult to keep this top of mind when racing against the clock to fix a network outage or meet a big project deadline. So right now while you're listening, we're going to home in on the business end of IT. Today we're joined by the authors of The Art of Network Architecture, Business Driven Design. This well-reviewed book is easy to read and provides unique insights into modern networking design models, concepts, and trade-offs. Denise Donahue is a business architect at NetCraftsman, Cisco Press author, and CCIE. Denise, I realize you've been on Packet Pushers podcast before, but would you please introduce yourself to the audience and tell us a little bit about your technical and business background? I've been in this industry for a long time, since, almost since it was an industry, but in, been doing the network design side of the business for like the last 10 years or so. Before that, I taught classes for global knowledge and then just did the normal, you know, running cables and engineer type work. Russ White is also joining us. Russ is a network architect, author, CCIE, CCDE, CCAR. Russ, I realize you're a Packet Pushers veteran as well, but would you please introduce yourself and tell us about your technical and business background? I am an architect at LinkedIn, uh, working on the network architecture team, building next-gen data center stuff and doing some PGP things. And uh, just don't tell Greg I'm working on PGP, but anyway, working on PGP things (laughs) and other such stuff. Uh, My background is I actually came out of electronic engineering in the U.S. Air Force, working on airfield systems, radar systems, and things like that, and started working on networks so 25-ish years ago, something like that, installing terminal emulation cards in C100s, which most people on this listening to this will be too young to even know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I think you just make that stuff up, Russ. I don't think there is such a thing. Uh, you've both written several books, numerous books, but in the book I mentioned in the introduction, you identified several useful ideas about aligning technology with business needs in particular. What are you seeing people struggle with today in that regard? Well, you know how most projects can break down into people, processes, and things? The, the things part in, is fairly easy. What we're seeing a lot of people struggle with is the, the processes and the people and aligning processes and people with the, with the business needs, which then, of course, aligns technology with it. This actually kind of comes from two different directions even, right? First of all, as you as a person, how do you manage these things within your own career and your own life? And as a business, how do you manage breaking down, figuring out breaking down these silos and figuring out what you do to, to make these people process type things go away or not make go away, but make them work. I agree. There's a there's a two components. There's the group dynamic and the individual component. I wondered if we might focus a little bit on the group component first and then come back to drill into the individual component. Denise, is it lack of process or is it rigidity of process or all of the above? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's that new technology is demanding new processes. 
the old way of doing things just doesn't work. You know, you, you can't, everybody's fighting the last war. We're doing a three-layer network. I mean, and this is especially true in, in the data center when, where you're introducing more software-defined networking, automation, more controller-driven things. It kind of reminds me of back in the days when uh, voice over IP was first coming in. And you had the silos of the voice people, like you know, the old telecom people, and the network people, and they didn't talk to each other. There was fear about losing each other's, about taking each other's jobs. But now, but the two had to converge. The processes had to be changed so that the network could support voice, and the voice people had to learn enough about the network to to know when, you know, how to make the voice work across it. It's kind of the same thing now, but it's more widespread. It's, it has to do with the entire data center. And then we're, now we're moving into the entire network as far as like do, making it software defined and software controlled. Russ, I know you probably have stuff to add. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right, Denise. I think that's the big issue right now is that everybody is kind of narrowly focused. They're thinking about what do I do? How do I keep my job? How do I stay here and do what I'm going to do? And we're not thinking so much about, or how do I keep my process, right? From a business perspective, it's very important that the process becomes like a, a comfort zone. I want to keep my little process and I want to manage my little process. And if you don't do my process, then you're not helping the business, you're hurting it and all this other stuff. And so it actually comes out of both directions. It, come out of, it comes out of the business side and it comes out of the people side or the engineering side. And you kind of have this mix of, no, I'm going to do things my way, but no, I'm going to do my, my things my way. And it's not really working very well. People are really struggling with this. Uh, where I'm seeing it right now is particularly in the area of security. And I know this is a very, very hard area to deal with, but there's a lot more, no, I'm going to keep my firewall. No, I'm going to do this. No, I'm going to do that. And, and there's a lot less of, all right, what is the problem I'm actually trying to solve? Where, what, what, is, what is my end goal that I'm doing for the business? And what can I do to make that better? There's much more of, this is the way I've always done it. And that tends to be human nature, but that's kind of what we're seeing, I think. That's pretty interesting. So, well, the idea of busting silos is as old as Jack Welsh and his boundaryless business. We have seen all these different incarnations of the debate. And um, Denise mentioned the telco versus network engineer division. Um, we're seeing in security, physical and digital security teams need to come together. Is DevOps the poster child for silo busting, where developers and network engineers are getting along and playing nice? Oh, no. Are yes they getting and along no. and playing nice? <laughs> <laughs> where? <laughs> yeah. No, it's, a, it's actually plus and minus, right? The problem with DevOps is you're bringing in yet another paradigm. You're bringing in software development, and the software development engineers have their own way of doing things. So now I've got business, technology, security, and the software development guys, and the software development guys are saying, no, lean agile, and the network guys are going, no, firewall, and, and it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> what do I do? Right. And the business is going, I just want to get my business done. I've already, you know, Businesses have other changes that they're in the midst of. The network is not the only thing that the business has to worry about. So maybe they're in the midst of rolling out new products or in the midst of you know, taking on new, uh, other companies, things like that. And so for them to have to say, oh my gosh, now I've got to take my attention away and devote my attention to changing my processes so that we can introduce this new technology and so that all my different groups can work together to make the technology support the business. It's a, it's a trade-off. It's a decision on their side. That can be a distraction in their minds from getting the actual business done. Well, it sounds like 
having an open mind and being willing to learn new things is key. Would you say that asking questions is a good way to bust silos? Oh, in general, asking questions is good. No, figuring out what questions are important to ask. That is the problem. We tend to be really, really focused in on what we're doing, right? For instance, and, and this is just one of those things, right? When I go into interviews and I'm being interviewed for a job, quite often somebody will ask me, well, how do you configure this on a particular router? Hmm. And you're like, that's not even a question, okay? <laughs> that's like... Well, unless, unless you're interviewing as for the job of someone who has to do the hands-on stuff. But. Yeah, well, right. But the thing, the thing is, is that engineers tend to get crushed or focused in a narrow way. And business people do the same thing, right? Business people are going to say, well, how do, I, how do I build a new sales channel? And they're not asking, well, how does that sales channel, building a new sales channel, channel interact with my technology decisions? They're thinking more in terms of how do I get a particular thing done? And they don't much care how they get from here to there. It's like sitting in your car and and the technologist says, I'm all about the GPS, and the business guy says, I'm all about the destination. Yeah, great, but <laughs> you need both to make this work. And the technologist isn't asking questions about the destination, and the business guy isn't asking questions about the GPS. Yeah, learning how to figure out the right questions is really crucial. And, and I think this comes down to just having that more broad-minded, getting outside of your own sphere. I mean, if you're an IT guy, you need to go read business books. And if you're a if you're a business guy, you need to go read Denise and I's book. So anyway, sorry. <laughs> Both of them need to read our book, Russ. What are you talking about? Come on, baby needs new shoes. Well, I think that's a really good point. It reminds me of the old adage, uh, you know, life is all about the journey or not the destination. What can we tell our listeners about how to go about asking the, asking questions or learning how to ask questions? Is it simply having innate curiosity? Should you ask open-ended questions to make people easier for people to respond and see what's on their mind? Or really specific focus questions that are related to getting a project or a task done? Yeah, both I think, both yeah, both and, all, all of the above. Don't limit it to only thinking about your, a specific project. Think about the, the big picture of what you're trying to do. Think about, as, as Russ says, the problem of what are you trying to, to solve. Is it appropriate to call it the fundamental versus immediate need? Yeah. The immediate need will take care of itself because if it doesn't, the network's going to, to die. So you'll always find time to do that. The hard part is, is not getting caught up in the weeds, not getting caught up in the day-to-day the -day and miss the tyranny of the urgent, not getting caught up in the urgent and you miss the critical. So when I worked for a big company a long time ago, and this is even pre-Cisco days, there was a consultant who walked around and he had a picture of a dolphin on the back of his laptop. And we could never figure this out. <laughs> it was like, we go to these meetings and there's this guy with a dolphin on the back of his laptop. Like, what is this dolphin? So finally one day I asked him, I said, what is the dolphin about? And he said, well, it always reminds me to think about what my poipus is. So that's a oh, really bad no. <laughs> It's oh. a really bad joke. So it wasn't actually but, a dolphin. Yeah, it was. Yeah, well, it was actually a bottlenose porpoise. It just looks like a dolphin, right? So, but I mean, but that's generally where you've got to go. You've got to think about what are you trying to do, and you got to think about what it is you're trying to get to. And so, you know, like I said, from a, from a technologist perspective, what's my business goal? And from a from a business perspective, well, how do I get there, right? What what is technology? What technology is going to solve this problem? Is there even a technology that's going to solve this problem? And dare I say it, it's all trade-offs. This is what we often forget, is that we can just solve things, right? Oh, we're just going to go solve this. Yeah, okay, well, you do that. Don't worry about those trade-off things because they're 
really horrible things and you don't want to think about them so just don't don't do the trade-offs and you'll be happy see it doesn't it doesn't work that way in the real world yeah and and it takes time and it's it's important when you're looking at the big picture then you can see where you need to go and it's important to plan ahead of time to do that when you're at the point of oh my gosh i need to expand my data center well the best thing long term for me to do would be to implement some type of you know software defined networking solution it would cut down on management increase security you know et cetera, make it more modular et cetera, et cetera. but if you're just thinking about that at the moment when you need to expand your data center then you're probably not going to get around to doing it right it's too late you need it's a culture change these processes are a culture change and you need to be working on that if you're the one who's thought of it you need to be bubbling it up to whoever needs to be the the you know, is high enough up in the organization that they can push down these culture changes because you know people are going to resist it. Yeah, there was a good podcast on the six people you meet in Project Hell, and one of the archetypes they said was Mr. Resistor. <laughs> so I'll have to link that up. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally understand. And, and having an advocate with the right authority level to engage that helps quite a bit. And it sounds like a lot of the resistance to change and the difficulties with change have to do with the momentum and size of the organization. You know, when I think about people I've worked with, groups I've worked with that had the diffi most difficulties changing, it was really large companies, whereas smaller and medium companies seem more, more agile just because they have less less people, less process, less momentum. Would you agree with that generalization? Yes and no. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's small and medium companies definitely have less processes generally. They haven't had time. I haven't had to develop them and have, haven't had time to possibly. Yeah, but the downside to the small and medium market is is that you don't have a lot of expertise necessarily that's broad enough or that's deep enough to ask the right questions. So it's kind of this, again, everything's a trade-off, right? So um, where I work at LinkedIn, we have lots of smart people who ask really good questions. And right now, because we are youngish, we have a lot of, we're very nimble. Whereas if you go to a large company like I used to work for a large chemical chemical manufacturing company. Well, oh no, you know we've done it this way for years, and they have the they have the deep expertise and SAP and everything else that they need. But they just don't even ask those types of questions. They just throw the problem over the cubicle wall and assume it's going to be solved. And it's not really the business side problem to solve or to think about how to fix. Whereas you know, so I think that's I think it's a culture thing as well. You've you've got to have. Even a smaller company, you've got to have a bunch of people who are interested in digging deep to ask the right questions and to figure out what the right thing is. In a larger company, you've got to have people who are willing to break the process mold and break down the silos and not be worried about whether or not they lose their job doing it. I've never actually seen anybody in my career make a change that's for the better of the company and kill their own job doing it. I don't know of anybody who's ever done that. I know a lot of people who have been caught in change as you said, Mr. Resistor, and they end up getting kicked out of their job, right? But I don't know anybody in my career who has, say, for instance, started a new group or started a, a cross-silo working group and has done a really good job of building something that the company then turns around and says, thank you for doing that. Now that you've solved the problem, you don't have a job anymore. I think that would be in most people's interest who like to do interesting things that you don't want to do the same thing for 20 years so if you can work yourself out of a job then you've you've done you've done right <laughs> that's that's my point anyway <laughs> yeah, yeah i haven't really stayed anywhere much more than three years or so so 
One yeah, of those, or you could update uh, your job, I guess. I mean, and that's I think with a spirit of an entrepreneur as well is to you build something, you probably, you systematize it, and you move on. From if I understand right, Russ's point is is that it's more a yeah. matter of culture than size of the business, and culture comes from the top of the organization, and it, it also relates to having a critical mass of like-minded people. Yeah, right. I would I would agree. Yeah, that's yeah. That's kind of yeah, and you can be nimble and still be large. I would think but when you're looking about when you're looking at evaluating technologies, what you know, as whether you're nimble, whether you're large, whether you're small, I think one thing that's important to look at is not just what's new, what fits your business as far as technology, but also is this going to cause process changes and is this technology and the process changes it's going to cause where you want to concentrate your own internal efforts? Because it, it takes time and energy to do that. If you're in the midst of other other projects or other things, if you're you know struggling to stay afloat as a company, even though this might be something that would be helpful, you might not just have the, it might not be the right time for you to make these changes. Yeah. And I think that too goes back to culture to some degree too. So I have this thing I talk about all the time called the OODA loop, which I'm not going to get into explaining. It's this. It's in the book. You know, observe. It's in the book. It's in the book. Right. That's right. There you go. Um, observe, you know, orient and, and decide and act. And I think a lot of times that and, you know, I'm working on a Ph.D. in philosophy, so I get very philosophical about these things sometimes. But I think a lot of times we set the stage with our own presuppositions about what action we're going to take because we've allowed ourselves to accept or certain pieces of information or to ask certain questions. We've given ourselves permission to, do, to, to act certain ways or to ask certain questions or to think about certain ways, things in certain, certain ways. So here I think what you run into is that when you set, when, when as a business, if you set it down and say, I am forever going to use a vendor, I am forever going to use not a vendor, I am forever going to do whatever it is, then you have preset your mode of thinking in such a way that it takes that nimbleness and that flexibility out of how you can address real life things. Like what Denise is talking about, okay, so... You're a business and you're in the middle of trying to struggle to keep the business afloat and you're trying to decide whether you're going to build a new data center. Well, if you've already set your internal standard that you don't want to mess with building data centers, then really it becomes a question of how to transition that data into the cloud rather than which data center technology do I use, right? So you've got, you kind of preset directions that are then going to drive later decisions that and that's not a bad thing. It's just that you need to be um, another big word, metacognitive. Or you need to think about why you're thinking that way and how that fits into your business, rather than just letting those things come to you. I mean, the worst thing you can do as a business is is, is to let the sales rep in through the door, and the sales rep says you need X. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you and you agree without asking the questions about it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> you know, and, and you don't think about. Well, if I do this, does that? Where does that take me in five years? What What do I do with that? How do I? How not only how do I assimilate that for my processes, and everything else? I like that framework because it's not always easy to be mindful of why we're making decisions. I think so often we make decisions for emotional reasons, perhaps due to, to preconceived notions, like you mentioned. But thinking of the five-year, three-year end result and the total cost of operation helps break that down, helps give us a little bit of a functional, critical check on our thinking. Right. Yeah, that's a good phrase, and I'm glad you brought that in, is the total cost of operation, not just total cost of ownership, total cost whatever. It's it's really what does it take to 
own it and operate it. Operation cost is a huge part of, of ownership. And a, another uh, kind of a poster child for an example like this is some company says, oh, no, we, we lost some data to the cloud and we're going to put in a data leak, a loss prevention solution. And they, they don't know how to define their business data. And so it just sits there and doesn't do anything. I can't t tell you how many times I've seen that. Do you have to think about the process? <laughs> and what's going to take to operate it, because that's probably going to be more expensive. I, I don't know, in the companies you work with, would you agree that, that usually labor is the biggest business expense, you know, your, your payroll? And so you really need to think about that. Yeah, sure, sure. And finding talent is hard, unfortunately. Finding good talent is very difficult in this business environment. It's not just because of competition. It goes all the way back to the mindset of the engineer. And we have built an engineering industry that, by and large, um, has sort of pigeonholed itself into, you know, as we used to say when I worked for the same large chemical company, we'd get in the elevator and go down to the basement because that's where IT was. They just don't want to be exposed right? to all those chemicals. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know, right? Yeah. Exactly. You know, they have the little asbestos suits hanging there in the elevator because you were going down to IT, you know, and <laughs> IT is its own. I mean, and, and we've got to get out of that. IT has to get out of that. And so... And, and then from a business side, we need to be more conscious about, or conscious about, okay, how am I going to approach technology, right? Am I going to, every time a new technology comes out, am I going to adapt my business processes? And I'm going to uh, build my business in such a way that I can actually modify my business processes that I'm more concerned about my end goal of selling a product or a service than I am about the internal processes I used to get there. That's a valid answer. Right? That's a perfectly valid answer. Another answer is to say, you know what, I don't care about all this stuff. I'm going to figure out how to build a buffer between me and technology. Now, personally, I say good luck with that, but, you know, there are companies that try to do that. And that's a big draw, I think, of the cloud and outsourced IT. Or the other option is do like what the big players do and take control of the flow of the technology in your own network, right? Build your own to some degree or less, depending on what you're doing. Um, you know, Google, Amazon, LinkedIn, we all build our own, by and large. I mean, to some degree or another. Build your own, you mean, what, you know, white box networking? and Right, exactly. And that takes size, as Denise says. That, that takes a large network. That takes a, that takes a large operation. But from a business perspective, you need to be intentional about that decision. You need to think about what it is you're trying to do and how, how IT or how information technology plays a role in your business whether the business process is easier to change than the information technology is or you know what what is the trade-off how do you make that work because that's not a simple decision to make it's there's a lot of factors that have to play into that yeah and it's not only a technology decision and it's not only a business decision it takes breaking down the silos at the highest levels to oh, yeah. make good decisions in this field. Very definitely. Yeah, and even if you outsource, the temptation I hear people saying is, well, fine, I'll just, I'm just going to outsource everything, especially in the data center side right now because things are changing so quickly there with virtualization of both servers and the network, um, you know, different types of designs, moving to more spine leaf, moving to more modularity, um, having to have DR and business continuity because the network's so important, the data center is so important, you can't not be without it. You, you can't be without it. Um, I hear a lot, well, let's just move to the cloud. But you, know, you still have to be able to get to the cloud. <laughs> Even if everything's, especially if everything's sitting up there, you have to still make sure your users have a path to get there. And that stuff is secure. 
Yeah, that's a good thing about <laughs> for the network engineers is even if they move the data center, they still have a job because <laughs> they still have to connect to the cloud. And also, I think getting back to what you're saying before, you have to put the forethought in about what it's going to take to change your operations. So if you're moving from an on-prem scenario to like an Amazon Lambda scenario where you're doing uh, microservices and workloads, a whole different paradigm, you're going to have to retool your entire stack, I would say, to, to really successfully utilize that platform. And and are you getting any more or less vendor centric than you might be in any other solution, right? Those are, I mean those are just questions you need to ask. Again, there's no right or wrong answer. I mean, it's perfectly fine to go to vendor A, whoever vendor A is and just say, I'm buying everything from you forever whatever you do, and I'm just going to trust you to do the right thing. Okay. Well, that's that's one answer. And you know, another answer is, no, I'm just going to white box. Okay, well, that's another answer, and that has different trade-offs. And the third answer is, I'm just going to go to cloud provider A and buy from them forever. Okay, well, that's another answer. But what do those answers mean from a business perspective, Yeah, that's right? a good point. And <laughs> I think we to get out of our silos, we need to educate ourselves on what those trade-offs are. So we may be able to get the positives and the pros from some sales literature. For example, you know, SDN could have advantages for multi-tenancy and large-scale networks. But, you know, if you're working in a small-scale network, what, what good does that give you? So, but how, how, where can engineers go to think, find the downside? Is there any way, place other than critical thinking and experience we can go to educate ourselves about the downsides and what we're trading away? Yeah, well, one thing is, I think, is that while people tell me, like at Packet Pushers, I hear all the time, oh, you're at LinkedIn, your problem scale is so large that it doesn't apply to anything anybody else is doing. But I really don't necessarily agree with that. I think that... It's when you hit these large-scale networks that you suddenly learn that certain things don't work. Like, for instance, SDNs. I mean, SDNs are a great idea, but are they truly going to scale to the fabric that LinkedIn is building next year? Honestly, I don't think the answer is yes. I think the, the answer is no. And so why? Because we've tried it and we've messed around with it and discovered certain things. Well, what were those things? Well, unless you're listening to people who are trying things, You'll never know the answer to those questions. You'll just get the sales the sales perspective, and you'll never get the other perspective. So I think that's why, you know, live, not just live, but Interop, um, I don't know, channel partners, NANOG, go to network operators groups, NANOG, things like this. There are operators groups for banks. There are all these places. Go to um, local meetups. And what what are people doing? And then don't just look at what they're doing, but then sit around and go, well, I wonder why they did it that way. Wouldn't it be simpler to do it this way? Well, there must be a reason. So go ask why. What did they do? What did they run into? What was the problem? And I think that's really important for network engineers to do. That's a wonderful answer. I, I think we can get so much value out of listening to other practitioners and going to practitioner-focused conferences and events versus vendor-focused events because that's when you get the real deal. And I'm glad you mentioned some mm -hmm. good events to do that because quite honestly in the security space there's a ton of practitioner events there's all these b-sides and everything and the network engineering side it seems kind of rare uh, or kind of hard to find some of these so i'm really glad you threw out some of those and blogs also reading blogs yes definitely <laughs> yeah blogs just any kind of blog right? yeah but put net, it in your net craftsman has a really net craftsman has a really good blog yeah <laughs> actually <laughs> you know net i don't blog that much so i can brag on them a little bit net craftsman has some amazing engineers that do some amazing blogs. I've run across so many people who, who say, 
oh my gosh, if I hadn't read about this on your blog, I wouldn't have known that why my you know why my ex was screwing up. We do, and, but and we're not course, the only ones. <laughs> yeah. And of course, there's packet pushers, and of course, there's personal blogs as well. I mean, yeah. Denise Fishburne has a great blog, and I blog. I'm not going to talk about my blog though. It's just going to be there in the show notes or something. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, if you were running a team of network engineers or other IT professionals. Would you recommend that they spend some portion of their day, you know, checking out what's out there in the blogosphere, like reading their feedly at lunch or the morning coffee? Or I, 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 I put it in their, uh, I put it in their yearly review. Crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, not how much you blogged, but how many interesting articles or how many interesting blog posts did you bring to the group? How many interesting research papers did you bring to the team? I think that's important because if you're not out there doing that and trying to struggle with this stuff, then you're coasting. And that's not a good thing, imagination. It's it's better to have somebody who's sending me blog posts about storage that I may not be necessarily directly interested in, but rather than somebody who's not reading anything. Or, join, or encouraging them to join user groups, or even just discussions amongst themselves, labs. If you lab things up, then oh, yeah. you can learn a lot that way. Um, some of the some of the online labbing, like well, Cisco's viral. You know, some of the other things that are available. Of course, the GNS3 for. Oh, and go get certifications. My whole view on certifications is different than most people. My my whole view on certifications is, you get a certification because it's a knowledge set that someone else in the industry has decided is really important for a particular field. Not because you put it on your resume and it makes you look beautiful or whatever. It's it's all about. There's a breadth of knowledge that you need to go get a certification. You know, forces you to go out and learn a, a set of skills. You're not going to get that set of skills otherwise. I mean, I know people who've worked on EHRP networks for 20 years, and they know nothing about OSPF. Well, are they a good network engineer? Well, maybe, but would they be better if they went and learned OSPF? Yes. Or ISI, as the case might be. All right. They'd be, they would be more, I guess, flexible. Um, right. You know, I almost think for... For business folks, it may be a, a bit easier to 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 find out how things really work and how are things are working in other companies because there's a lot a lot of of groups like peer groups with with other business people. Yeah, through trade yeah. organizations. Mm-hmm. It's ways for you to exchange or exchange information about what's working, what's not. And I would highly encourage people who are involved on the on the business side to do that. Yeah, along becoming more nimble and agile as professionals, you suggested at one point that IT professionals may want to go read some business books and learn some business stuff. Would you also say that? them uh, assimilating a common body of knowledge like PMP or Lean Six Sigma, or are they, they too specialized? You can do anything you put your mind to, come on, within reason, um, that anything you're willing to do the work to be able to do. I, I think those are, are fairly specialized, but I guess the bigger point is look for ways to improve your, your industry knowledge or your professional knowledge. Look for ways to grow your your usefulness as a professional and if you're in a in a, a role where knowledge of how to run a project is important then then the PMP would be a wonderful thing to get for instance one thing that you pointed out in the show notes is to remember that you're an IT company no matter what business what your business does right. uh, I was wondering if you could talk about that a little bit right that's important <laughs> Russ you want to take that one because you are really well, good at that well well I just again I remember I worked for this big chemical company and and every time you would say Hey, let's go do this. They would say, "Now we are—we're not an IT company. We're—we're—we're we're, we're a chemical company." And it just used to like 
I just wanted to walk down the hall and beat my head on a wall because I was like, yes, you're a chemical company. But <laughs> Do you think framing would make a difference, saying, hey, we want to do industrial automation? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, you know, it may be more like IT, okay, but maybe if you phrase it more like we're every company is an information company. Every company right. requires the exchange of information in order to function. Exactly. Every form that you push, every process that you have is an information process. Now, whether you use information technology to solve that process or to facilitate that process has no bearing on whether or not you're actually managing information. But everything that you do is about information, from the formulas you use to build those chemicals to the process you use and the names of contractors you use to build plants to the names of customers and what they're looking for and how long it takes to drive a an 18-wheeler with trichloroethylene between Atlanta and and you know t and Chattanooga that's all information and if you're not managing that information in an intentional way then you're not a business because that's all that business is so all that information technology is designed to do is to facilitate the, the easy and effective management of all the information that goes into those processes. So if you think that you're a business and you're not an information technology business, well, you're an information business no matter what you do. Whether or not you use the tools that information technology gives you to facilitate managing that information is up to you. But you know, you're you're in the information business, whatever you're doing. That makes a lot of sense. And by thinking of it that way, it's a good way to broaden ourselves as well. I was just thinking about an asphalt paving company. I was trying to find an example to break the rule. <laughs> but even there, you know, the skills of how they run the equipment and where they get their materials and all that kind of stuff is all information, whether it's in somebody's head or in a document somewhere. Uh, it's still information. Right. Yeah. And who, whose driveway needs paving? Right. Yeah, customer list. Yeah. They still got to use LinkedIn, right, to find people that need driveways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, or you know, or knowing what year every every particular neighborhood in your area was built and who built it, so that you know that in in seven years these driveways are likely right. to break down, but in twenty years those are. That's like inside information that's going to give you even for a paving company is or a concrete company is going to give you a lot of inside as to what's going on in the next five years or something. Agreed. Yep. If you could use technology to automate that and to help you plan plan ahead, then there you go. You're an IT company. I was curious if you're interested to elaborate further on the don't just fight the war, create new ways to fight. Have you guys had an experience that led you to think about that phrase? Well, people are always trying to design, use the same tools in designing their network and, and in managing their network and monitoring their network. Um, but there's all new tools out there. There's, And I think, you know, like with LinkedIn creating and Google and the big guys creating their own, you know, their own equipment and processes and operating systems and stuff. There are new ways to do it. Um, I don't know, Russ. Did, do you think that needs elaborating upon? Well, I think I think it comes down to thinking outside the box again, right? And learning to ask questions, and thinking more about your goal than it is thinking about your uh, how you do it. We get trapped in, well. You know, we've always used SNMP. <laughs> yes, but so right. is that the only way to do this, right? Or maybe not. Or we've always used firewalls. Yeah, well, 
firewalls, I think security is the big one that that really applies to right now. Uh, we really struggle with uh, the firewall becomes like a security blanket, which is kind of sad because there are so many other ways of doing security. And uh, firewalls, you know, I used to do this presentation at Cisco Live where I would talk about chocolate chip cookies, right? Used to be security when I was in Cisco Tech was, <laughs> okay, you're like chocolate chip cookies. Anyway, used to be security when I was in Cisco Tech was crunchy on the outside and chewy in the middle, right? I mean, everything had to be on the surface. Or as I put it in a recent blog post, it's all about walls and cannons. Well, you know, nowadays you can't, you can't put up a, a block wall and expect no one to get through it. It's got to be crunchy all the way through. And, and I don't like my cookies crunchy all the way through, but that's the way security's got to be. And you've got to think of it in those terms. It's, it's a different way of solving the problem. Yeah, I think a lot of people would agree that firewall is nothing more than a, a, an appliance to implement network policy. But really, you have to have defense in depth. I love the old risk strat, you know, the risk analogy. If you have all your soldiers lined yeah. up in one country and you lose the battle, you're toast. But if you have your soldiers yeah. in depth, uh, I can't remember who to, who described it that. If it was you or Mrs. Y, somebody was talking about it that way. But yeah, I totally agree. I mean, with all these borderless networks and letting VPN and BYOD and everything, really the firewall, there's no real borders anymore. Exactly. Right. It's one piece of the puzzle. Well, thanks for joining us on The Next Level. I'm Damien Hoising. You can contact me at Damien at PacketBrigade.com. Denise, how can folks get in touch with you? Would you like to share a book or plug your social media or business? <laughs> well, check out the NetCraftsman.com blogs. Um, or also, I'm on Twitter as at LadyNetworker. That's L-A-D-Y-N-E-T-W-K-R. Those are the two best ways. And, of course, you know, any of the books you want to buy, we would not stop you. Yeah, we'll link up your Cisco okay. Press profile on the show notes. Russ, how about you? How can folks get in touch with you? And would you like to share some social media references for the audience? Sure. I'm um, On Twitter, I'm Routing Geek, R-T-G-G-K. And I have a blog at Network, which is uh, ntwrk.guru. But if you just look up Network with just apostrophe N-E-T, N-E-T, work. Or if you go to NetGraspin's blog, I blog there. And if you go to Packet Pushers, I blog there and several other places. Uh, books, 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 always buy our books. Denise and I want to retire. And so <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'll be a long be bored. time for that. <laughs> Based on book sales. <laughs> so my latest is uh, Navigating Network Complexity, which is probably a lot of people are thinking, why would I want to read about network complexity? So I'm going to have to do a blog post on that because I actually do think it's important. And then there's Art of Network Architecture with Denise. And then I just recorded an ISIS video for uh, Cisco Press. It's gonna be published under the Live Lesson moniker. And I have like three or four more projects going with them. So just poke around and you'll find me someplace or another. We'd love to get your feedback on the show. You can leave a comment on the blog post that accompanies this podcast on packetpushers.net or drop us a line at nextlevel at packetbrigade.com. <laughs>